G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. The Sporting Capital on SEN. Jordan Canellis with you this Tuesday night. As always, you can send us a text 0433981116. Thanks to Temper, a mattress like no other. You can give us a call, one 736 736 for Harcourts. Your move, your Harcourts. Plenty on the way in our next hour on the show. As I said earlier, we'll uh, head over to uh, live from Birmingham. We're going to go to Birmingham and have a chat to uh, a couple of our uh, key na- Probably the two biggest names, I would say, in the Jackaroo setup uh, tonight. Gary Willis, the head coach, and Barry Lester, one of the star players who is uh, still vying for gold, picked up a silver this morning in the triples, but plenty on the way for the Bowls team after what was a successful morning with uh, Ellen Ryan in the women's singles getting gold the first time ever that an Australian has picked up gold uh, at the Com Games or at, at the um, at any competition really in, in the Northern Hemisphere. So Com Games in the, in the UK, Com Games in Australia, we've done plenty of times, but any Commonwealth Games north of the equator. Never done before until this morning with Ellen Ryan. So we'll chat to uh, Gary Willis about that and Barry Lester as well. Uh, But as we often do, as we always do, uh, but often on a uh, Tuesday night, we have a chat to Sam Duncan, who is the course leader of sports degrees at Holmes Glen. Upskill your career, learn more, do more at Holmes Glen. And Sam Duncan is with us here off the top of uh, this segment. Sam, it's good to chat to you. How's things? G'day, Jordan. Always good to be with you, mate. The uh, Commonwealth Games, how much uh, interest have you had? Because I always think in, in the lead up to the Com Games and even the Olympics as well, it sort of it feels like it always sneaks up on us a little bit. And we go, oh, yeah, I'll, yeah in, interest. It's okay. It's here nor there. Maybe a 5 out of 10, 6 out of 10 level of interest. When it starts, though, and you start watching the sport, and you start getting into it, and you see how many medals start rolling in for the Aussies, particularly at the Com Games. You go, oh, yeah, the, the interest peaks at about eight or nine, and you start watching plenty of sports. So what was it like for you, uh, Sam, in the, in the lead-up to the Com Games? Look, exactly as you've articulated, Jordan, it really did creep up to us. And, and I think we wondered um, how successful they would be, certainly from a TV ratings and, and streaming and, and, I guess, um, consumption perspective. Given that the games are being played on the other side of the world in a very unfriendly time zone to watch, uh, I guess, the gold medal um, races, if you like, in, in swimming and <clears throat> athletics. Uh, and also, I think we've just, you know, been a little bit, you know, uh, curious about exactly where the Commonwealth Games sit in the sporting landscape, considering... Um, the world's best at many events are not there. What sort of appetite do Australians have to watch when the world's best are missing in a lot of different events? But it seems the appetite is still there. I mean, Channel 7 would be very happy with the way it's rating. Over the weekend, there was 800,000-plus Metro viewers watching various events in prime time. Um, positions, uh, slots, and it certainly helps that Australians have been winning as well, but they'd be really happy with that, and I guess it just goes to show that we love watching Australians compete, like Team Australia still sells 
regardless of the event and often regardless of the sport. And it also goes to show the importance of events in elevating your sport to capture the hearts and minds of consumers. We see it in different sports all the time where there's majors or grand slams or if we look at one-day cricket, it comes to life still around World Cups. Events Mm. still sell. And if Australia's playing or competing... Australians will watch. Yeah, I think that's an important point to make. Is is events are important for for so na- you know national unity? And we kind of we, we look over at the Americans and scoff at how patriotic they can be, and we go, oh, we're not as we're not as fanatical as that. But we do love Australians and Australian national teams, and the Australian cricket team unifies. the uh, The Socceroos will unify a nation come November, December. Uh, it'll be the same for the Women's World Cup next year. The Wallabies, whenever the Rugby World Cup comes around, we always go, oh yeah, we've got a a little bit more of a peaked interest in rugby union. The the Olympics and the Com Games uh, does the same as well, and I think for for multiple reasons it's important. For a for competition, just for so from from a sporting perspective, away from a media look at it, from a sporting perspective, it's important as well because it keeps our athletes in elite competition against other elite athletes. And when other parts of the world do the same thing, so they've got they've got similar uh, events for Asia, the Pan Asian Games. They've got the European Championships for different uh, sports. They've got other types of you know other sections of the world. I'm sure there's there's an Arabian Games as well. So for for the Commonwealth to be able to have this this kind of event, I think is important because it keeps our athletes competing at an elite level outside of just the Olympics or outside of just the World Championships. And it is an event and events. Events uh, events are sexy, Sam. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's really curious, isn't it? And there's lots of studies on this, why we feel such um, patriotism towards athletes that we ultimately don't know. So they're from the same country as us. But, you know, we might actually have more in common um, with an athlete from a totally different country, from the other side of the world, if we were ever to meet. But it's kind of a nod to our way. I mean, you know, we look at these athletes and we think, well, I can relate to you. You probably went to a school like I did. You lived in a home with a backyard like mine was. You probably ate in restaurants or at pubs with with your parents like I did. And then they're on the world stage and and they're competing on behalf of us and and our way of life, if you like. And so that's why we're drawn to them. That's, that's, That's the patriotism that comes out in us, that when we succeed, we feel good because it's kind of a nod to us and our way of life and that we're going okay on the world stage. And for Australians, sport has always done that. I mean, we love the fact that we kind of, you know, punch above our weight and that we're competitive against, you know, the might and power of of much bigger countries. Plus, everyone loves a winner. And and at the Commonwealth Games, Australia wins plenty of gold. So, look, it's been a big first week um you know and as i said that's backed up by the ratings that i think channel seven would be chuffed with they're winning the market share which means more people are watching the commonwealth games than anything else on television and that means for seven they're able to promote all of their products all of their programs all of their stars and they're hoping that that then translates into higher ratings on those programs once the com games wraps up I knew tonight we'd be talking about Kyle Chalmers and analysing um, this situation and probably analysing, obviously analysing the media, so, uh, you know, the industry that we work in and we analyse uh, on a whole. Um, I, we had Matt White on before to just talk about the games and, and what's coming up tonight, but I asked him about about this. Is this uh, everything around Kyle Chalmers, Cody Simpson, Emma McKeon, is this just the worst of the media? 
Yeah, well, I think so. I really do, because this is not really a story. Um, you know, and this is how the media has changed, and it's changed forever and it'll never go back. But there used to be a stronger emphasis on is this in the public's interest? Now, sport's always been uh, entertainment. So if you only ever wrote stories that were in the public's interest, then you probably wouldn't end up writing much. And so for years, the question's always and also been asked, is the public interested? And that's different to a public interest story. I mean, if a politician was up there espousing family values and campaigning on family values, and we found out that he, he or she wasn't such a great family person after all, that's when it's fair to kind of report on personal issues. If somebody is, you know, standing on a platform only to find out that it's a much different and contradictory story behind the scenes. For an athlete who just wants to swim, their personal life is irrelevant. Um, if there was friction in the Australian team that was impacting the Australian team's performance, then you could argue that Australians had a right to discuss it because, you know, uh, a Swimming Australia would be using funds from government or the taxpayer. But really, it's not a story. Uh, and the impact that it has had on Carl Chalmers is evident. He has spoken about it. He has written on social media about it. Uh, and it's a, it's a shame because he's an entertainer who wants to swim. Uh, and as a result of what has been written and said through the media, um, he has openly said he's finding it hard to enjoy himself. So, you know, again... We live in a celebrity age, Jordan, where people are fascinated with athletes and their lifestyles. And sometimes athletes do benefit from that, but sometimes um, it, it's it's an unnecessary intrusion. Why why do we like that? Is it just is it just voyeurism of what it looks what, what in a peek in to what someone who maybe we see as better than us, or you know they have they live a, a grander life than us? We want to see what that's like. We've always had a fascination with stars and celebrities. Um, and, and yes, we've always had a fascination with their lifestyles too. There's no doubt about that. It is voyeurism. It is this sense of escapism that these people are living lives that perhaps we'd like to live. And increasingly in today's day and age, um, there's social media. I mean, if you follow athletes, some let you write in. Not all, but some let you write in. Um, and, and show you where they're holidaying, um, where they're eating and who they're with. And it's a glimpse into a lifestyle that the rest of us don't live. And there's a fascination with anything that we don't have that we might want, including lavish lifestyles. Um, but some athletes just want to live a private life. Uh, and and uh, it's difficult for them because celebrity sells. It really does. I mean, we've gone through different generations of media um, and it really started when newspapers had competition from radio but then television in terms of sports reporting, i.e. there's no great need for us to read a recap on a sport when we watched it live on television. Mm. They turned their attention to off-field and that meant opinion about um, the game and why things are happening, but it also meant... Um, you know, we started viewing athletes as celebrities. And the other thing that's happened, Jordan, is money. Athletes used to earn a good amount 
Now, a lot of them in a lot of sports earn a hell of a lot, and it means they do live different lifestyles to the rest of us. It's transformed them into celebrities, and it means they're caught up in the celebrity culture and our fascination with all that. The other thing with, uh, so you talk about TV coverage and the other, one of the elements of the TV coverage is uh, on-ground interviews or mid-game interviews, half-time, quarter-time, poolside like we've seen at the Com Games. Uh, what value does this add to a coverage? Do, do viewers like it? I personally probably am indifferent with it. I, I probably wouldn't mind seeing them go because I feel like it's intrusive on the athlete. It doesn't For me, it doesn't feel like it adds anything, but I'm just one person. What does it add? Well, sometimes you're right, it adds nothing because the athlete doesn't want to be there or their mind's on other things or they simply don't want to give too much away. And so sometimes you get nothing. And and like you, you think, well, that was a bit of a waste of time. But when they open up, uh, when they give you something, when they give you uh, a response uh, that is from the heart or straight out of their mind, it is captivating. And, and I thought Kyle Chalmers' discussion with um, Kate Campbell after he swim the other night where he opened up about the impact of the media stories was brilliant because um, we were you know, hearing him talk about it. He was talking to somebody he trusts and who he knows Uh, And so perhaps he was more open because of that. But that was captivating. And I thought Sarah Jones talking to Jack Yinovan after Collingwood's uh, win over Port Adelaide was also great. I mean, he spoke about how he's been impacted by all the discussion about him and that it hasn't been easy and that he has had to rely on the support of his teammates and family. And I think Sarah Jones knew that she was onto something because it was a slightly longer on-ground interview than you would normally have. But um, we were getting something from the horse's mouth, so to speak, that we hadn't received before. So, yeah, I I agree. I reckon 80% of the time we don't get much. Mm. Maybe it's even more than that. But when we do, it's worth its weight in gold because it's replayed over and over and over uh, again in promoting the sport and obviously the network who captured it. Last one, Sam, the media rights uh, from an AFL perspective. We've spoken about this uh, intermittently with uh, what I have with you and and Sam Hargraves as well is it's kind of a, you know, watch this space, keeping tabs on it throughout the year. Uh, Clearly does. It looks like, I mean, obviously there's going to be a lot of money involved, but it's not just about the money this time around. It's about the, uh, the service um, that can be provided by streaming services. Where do we sit right now on media rights? Yeah, well, it's it's look, it's always about more than money, but possibly um, even more this time around because streaming's going to play such an important role. So, on what platform will that take place? And you know, what other um, sports does the organisations have that draw people to the platform to the product? Uh, and how are they going to engage fans? And how it's how is it going to look? I mean, the look is so important. The the media partners are responsible for how a sport is ultimately packaged and delivered to the fans. And if it's done poorly, it detracts from the entire sport and its product. So, yeah, there's a lot more to it than the money. It looks like the AFL is not going to get the $3 billion it wanted or the $600 million a year. Not necessarily because the product's not strong. I mean, my goodness, it's been brilliant of late. Just because it's a weaker advertising market at the moment. And um, those putting in their bids need to be conscious of what their return on investment is going to be from advertisers. And if you look at domestic rights in, say, the EPL, they've actually decreased. 
but their international rights have gone up. So it's happy days. We don't have that here in Australia. So, look, it's all looking very interesting. First bids are in. We don't know what they are and what the AFL is going to do next, but we know the big players have submitted their bids. There's going to be counter bids. There's going to be negotiations that will continue. But the whips are cracking, and we're certainly obviously getting closer to a resolution. Sam, it's always good fun having a chat to you and uh, looking a little bit deeper at the landscape that we uh, we listen to and watch and work in, in our case, all, uh, all day and all week long. So uh, I appreciate your time, mate, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Great stuff, Jordan. Speak to you next week. Sam Duncan with us, the course leader of sports degrees at Holmes Glen. Study sports business, health or building and construction. Apply now, learn more, do more at Holmes Glen. This is the Sporting Capital. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back on the other side of this, wrap up a couple of uh, talking points from around the sporting world, and then we'll get stuck into Without Bias shortly as well. Uh, Sporting Capital coming back after this. It's time now to check out what's happening in the world of greyhound racing. And joining me is Trent Langscale from the GRV. Hello to you, Trent. Hello to you, Jordan. It's great to have a chat with competitive chasing tonight and a superstar in action tomorrow afternoon. Trent, a Group 1 place getter is expected to face a tough competitor at Warrigal this evening. That's right, Jordan. Here comes Pi, lines up against the promising Orohitas in race 7 at 8.54. Here comes Pi. Third in the Group 1 Harrison-Dawson final only a couple of months ago. Racing for the second time since May 31. Here comes Pi is the $2 second elect, with his nearest rival racing more frequently of late. Orohitas was in strong form during the month of July, with two wins and a second in his four starts. Orohitas is the $1.85 favourite to continue his recent run of great performances. Opposites attract is a popular phrase, Trent, but that certainly won't be the case in a clash of ideals at Warrigal tonight. Jordan, Power of Silence and Loud House are contesting race 10 at 9.57. Power of Silence has enjoyed a promising start to his career with two victories and a second from four races. Power of Silence is the odds-on $1.70 elect to bolster his strike rate. Loud House has commenced her career in style with three wins and three runner-up finishes from nine starts. Loudhouse is on the second line of betting at $3.70. And Trent, Wednesday meetings at the Meadows often have quality greyhounds going around, and tomorrow's card features a genuine star. Jordan, Jarek Bale is the greyhound you are referring to. Jarek Bale is a dual Group 1 champion, and he has also finished second in the Group 1 Sandown Cup. Jarek Bale was runner-up in the recent Group 3 Fireball final to Draco Bale before triumphing by over six lengths at Sandown Park last Thursday night. Jarek Bale is expected to secure his 31st career victory in race eight at a quarter past two. The star power extends to Sandown Park this Thursday night with four quality heats of the Victorian Sprint Championship as well. Uh, Trent, thank you very much for joining us and providing us with the latest Greyhound Racing news. Thank you, Jordan. As always, please gamble responsibly. Greyhound Racing continues under strict protocols, securing employment for more than 4,000 Victorians. And you can now watch every Victorian Greyhound race live and free by downloading the Watchdog app or follow Watchdog Racing on Twitter or Facebook. You're listening to The Sporting Capital with Sam Hargraves on SEM.
Jordan Canellis with you on the Sporting Capital tonight, filling in for Sam Hargraves, although he will be in later on for Off the Tee, our uh, dedicated golf show here on SEM with Nick O'Hearn. So that'll be coming up uh, in uh, at 8pm Eastern Standard Time. So that's uh, not far away now. Uh, without bias is even closer, which is our dedicated bowls show. And we'll be heading over to Birmingham to have a chat to Gary Willis, the national coach, and Barry Lester, who took home the silver medal after uh, in, in the um, men's triples after losing to England in the final, 12-14. to 14, But he'll be with us uh, in a few moments from now. A story that uh, actually broke last night uh, while I was on air uh, for the Macca's run, uh, but I'll bring it up now, is that Aston Martin in the Formula 1 have moved to uh, quickly replace Sebastian Vettel, who's announced his retirement for the end of the season. Uh, they're replacing him with Fernando Alonso. So one of the greatest drivers of all time, Fernando Alonso, will have uh, new colours next season, moving from Alpine to Aston Martin. does make you wonder, because it was only, what, three or so days, three or four days ago that Sebastian Vettel announced his retirement. It came pretty suddenly out of the blue. Uh, so we wonder how much uh, prior notice that uh, Aston Martin had that uh, Sebastian Vettel would retire, uh, because they, they've moved pretty quickly to bring in Fernando Alonso as his replacement for next season. So Alonso will be in the uh, in the dark green of Aston Martin next year. But what that does is it opens up a free seat at Alpine in Formula 1 next season. And Oscar Piastri, the new Australian, who took out the Formula 2 World Championship last year, but is without a seat this year, he's tied with Alpine. That's his team. He's a reserve driver there, but he's got links to the team. Is it as simple as Oscar Piastri gets a seat at Alpine next season in Formula One? And we have two Australians on the grid in Daniel Ricciardo and Oscar Piastri. It certainly looks like that's the that's the fact that's the odds-on move. So not confirmed yet, but I reckon it's a pretty damn good thing that Oscar Piastri has all of a sudden got a pretty secure drive in a decent car next season in Formula One. I'm looking forward to it. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.